out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. In the previous recording that I did with regards to Life and Non, I read from a section called A Note from Freddie, which is basically the introduction. And I only read a small part of it. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some more of the introduction as well as from the scenario because some of the things that I'm going to discuss later doesn't make sense if you don't hear the scenario. And I'm going to also read from the step one section. And the reason I'm doing this is because people said to me that they don't really understand what it is about and they would like to hear kind of a teaser, a, a bit more of an explanation of what Life and Non is about. So I decided to do this recording so that people can understand a bit better. Over time, there will be a whole set of YouTube videos that will be made available to the people who buy the book so that they can get a much clearer understanding. I will be sharing a lot more detail in the videos. So let's kick off. The book is called Life and Non, a 12-step guide to life for non-addicts by Freddie Farinsberg. That's me. And I've added a new first line. And the new first line says, Hi, my name is Freddie. I am an addict of various persuasions. I know that you are not. This is why this book is for you. The previous reading I stopped after the paragraph that said that I went into rehab. I'm picking up from there. Upon admission to the treatment center, I was given a welcome pack, which included the book Alcoholics Anonymous, popularly known as the Big Book. It is the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, that is the AA Fellowship. This was my introduction to the 12 steps. The 12 steps read, 1. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. May direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Most rehabilitation facilities treat drug addiction and alcoholism, collectively known as chemical addictions. This includes addiction to various legal substances, such as alcohol and over-the-counter prescription medication, as well as illegal substances, such as cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine and acid. That's only to mention a few. Many rehabs also treat process addictions. These addictions are defined as compulsions to continually engage in behaviors or processes despite the negative impact they may have in one's life. Addiction to food, sex, love, gambling and technology. Now technology addiction can be to television, gaming, mobile phones and those type of things. 
are all process addictions. The whole list of addictive substances and behaviors is too long to repeat here. My admission to the rehab was more specifically for my addiction to cocaine, marijuana and alcohol. Later in this journey, sex addiction also came to light and much later codependency. Like many addicts, I also suffer from depression. The root of the problem. My true downfall though was that I did not know how to live life properly. I seemed unable to choose appropriate responses to life challenges. I reacted in a knee-jerk fashion, which often caused pain to myself and others in my life. In short, I was a reactor. Someone that reacts. I honestly thought I was condemned to a slow and painful suicide. Frankly, I was looking forward to the end. The way we reacted to a situation is not arbitrary. Our reactions are generally learned behaviors. Somewhere, somehow, we have come to learn to react to a particular stimulus with a particular response. Most often, the way we react today is what we have learned in our childhood. Most of our reactions in life are healthy and appropriate. But in some circumstances, the way we learned to react in our childhood is neither appropriate nor functional in adulthood. It is these inappropriate reactions in adulthood which cause us pain and discomfort. Our actions are triggered in our brain, but our emotions are triggered by our actions. We tend to believe that we have no power over these reactions, but in life and non, we will learn to think and act differently and appropriately. Because we are going to act differently, we are going to start feeling differently, which is the aim of this book. If you are reading this book, it is probably because you are not satisfied with the way you react to life and you want to feel better about yourself and your life. We are powerless over our reactions, but not over our ability to decide upon an appropriate response. By gaining an understanding of our emotions and our subsequent reactions to them, we learn to choose the correct actions and not be a slave to unsuitable, acquired childhood behaviors. Ultimately, instead of merely reacting, we shall learn how to respond to life appropriately. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I did not know who I was and where I fit into society. I was constantly anxious and I sometimes believed I was born at the wrong time in the wrong place. From a very young age, I believed life to be too demanding. I felt unable to cope with what I believed life expected of me. Yet, in the early part of life, I did not disengage from living, but went to the other extreme. I tried to control how I was perceived as a participant in society. I took part in nearly everything life threw at me. In school, I was in nearly every play ever put on the planks. I sang in the choir and did folk dancing, folkspiele in those days. I participated in the Astetford in both Afrikaans and English poetry. I was on the debating team and took part in Toastmasters. I did athletics and played rugby and hockey. I was head boy in both grade 7 and matric. The only times I felt remotely okay was when I was alone in my room. I was compelled to be part of something, but felt best when isolating myself from life. In later years, I came to think of my inability to appropriately act to life in the following way. It was as if everyone received a How to Live Life for Dummies manual at birth. As we grow up, we learn basic life skills from our parents and our community. We become more and more adept at consulting our How to Live Life manual. At times, we may need to understand the finer nuances of social behavior, or we want more information on some or other topic. This is when we turn to our manual. My peers were constantly learning life lessons by consulting the manual and receiving guidance. No matter how hard I worked and studied, nothing in my manual made sense to me. Fear, 
predominantly of being ridiculed and bullied, withheld me from telling anyone about my inability to read and understand my manual. It was only when I entered recovery that I discovered my manual was erroneously issued to me in Chinese. I was taught to read English and Afrikaans, not Chinese. I believe the 12-step recovery program I started working in rehab was teaching me Chinese, metaphorically speaking. By working the steps, I was learning to understand my life manual. I learned how to consult and receive answers from it. Life became easier to comprehend. As my Chinese improved, I became better at living life and satisfying its demands. What I learned in recovery. I reached a point where I wanted to stop hurting myself. I was tired of making decisions that were detrimental to me and others. By working the 12 steps, I learned how to like myself and to want what is best for me. I consequently came to learn how to make healthy decisions for myself. Decisions which enhanced my life and positively contributed to the life of those around me. I learned I am worth loving myself. Because I started giving out loving energy, it became easier for others to love me and for me to accept their love. I also learned that I could be honest with myself and others. Living life in integrity was more rewarding than hiding the true me. I learned to trust myself more and gained the ability to have hope, trust and faith in society at large. I learned how making good decisions is not always easy, how it takes courage, how giving up fear in favor of courage and its rewards was making my life enjoyable. For me to have a fulfilling life, I needed to be willing to engage with it in a balanced way. This requires humility and openness to learn. I had to learn new skills to enhance my living experience, but also to apply old skills differently to enjoy more favorable outcomes. Part of this journey was to accept how I consist of mind, body and spirit. I needed to attend to all three aspects of me if I wanted a balanced and happy life, which is exactly what I was looking for. I needed to learn how to feed my soul and take better care of my mind and body too. I learned love is more powerful than hate and resentment. How to feel and give love takes practice. But the more of it I have for myself and others, the easier it gets to help others and consequently build better self-esteem. I learned how, by isolating, I robbed myself of the happiness that living as a contributing member of society brings. I consequently perceive the 12 steps to be a design for living program. The 12 steps are now fundamental to my ability to live life successfully. The 12 step approach. I'm sharing this program with you because I believe many of us are reactors. We live with pain that comes from reacting to life inappropriately. For some of us, the situation is even worse because we may not realize that our dire situation can be changed and we therefore unnecessarily cling to old, miserable ways. Life and Not is a step workbook which celebrates the existence of possibilities. It is written for anyone who desires a more fulfilled and meaningful life. I share my experience of how I learned to live in the solution as opposed to being caught in the trap of the problem. In the 12 steps, I found the solution I so desperately needed. I believe the life skills I have learned from working this program are universally applicable. It is my wish that, by working through life and on, you will be empowered to live the life you've always dreamed of. This program delivered results beyond my wildest imagination. I also see this happening in the lives of many others who work 12-step programs in various of the 12-step fellowships. I call the result of my 12-step work gifts. I wish for you to receive similar gifts too. For the purpose of the journey we are undertaking in life and none, I have changed the 12 steps to read as follows. 1. We admit we are powerless over life and how our reactions to it are contributing to unmanageability in our lives. 
2. Come to believe a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. 3. Make a decision to turn our reactions to life over to the care of a higher power of our understanding. 4. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admit the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. Become entirely ready to have a higher power remove all our defects of character. 7. Humbly ask our higher power to remove our shortcomings. 8. Make a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. 9. Make direct amends to those we have harmed, wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. 11. Seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with our higher power, praying only for knowledge of its will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other reactors and to practice these principles in our lives. A short detour for clarity. I was about five years old when I was playing wedding with a girl in our neighborhood. I was terribly excited by the game but found myself grumpy and irritable. I was unable to fully enjoy the moment. It was only when the girl walked into our imaginary church, dressed in the makeshift wedding dress, that I realized what was bothering me. I wanted to be the bride. In that moment, my life changed. I immediately believed that this thought made me a bad person, unacceptable and unworthy of love. My instincts led me to think that if these thoughts were to be uncovered, I would be harshly punished by being rejected and abandoned. It took me many years before I realized I was gay, and it took me many more years before I would learn to accept it. To avoid rejection, I became a good little boy and developed into someone who tried his utmost to do everything perfectly. I turned into a perfectionist. People had to accept me because I was perfect. Trying to be perfect turned out to be a futile, exhausting and near life-threatening endeavor. In my teenage years, and as part of my strife for perfectionism, I developed into a more than adequate athlete. Athletics quickly became an addiction. I represented my province in both the 100 meters, 100 and 110 meter hurdles and relays. I won various African championship medals. Athletics served many purposes. It helped me gain acceptance from both adults and peers, which I so badly wanted and believed I needed. Mostly though, it assisted me physically running away from life. I often overtrained, leaving me too tired to engage with life. The exhaustion allowed me to take time and space to efficiently recuperate. A perfect excuse to isolate and not engage with life. When I stopped doing athletics in my early 20s, other addictions were given the opportunity to manifest. It was almost as if, when I stopped running, life caught up with me and I needed other means of escaping from everything I tried so hard to ignore. The stress of hiding my sexuality became unbearable and I came out of the closet to myself and some close friends. This is when I started drinking, using drugs and sexually acting out. As the stresses and strains of adulthood became more demanding, I turned to the only thing I knew, and that was to try harder. Try harder to escape the pain of not coping. Alcohol, drugs and sex turned out to be false prophets. They did not supply any of the answers to my questions on how to live life, which I thought I had found in them. Nothing could relieve me of my feeling of extreme inadequacy. I sought help from psychologists, psychiatrists, self-help books, exercise, men, pornography and work, but nobody and nothing could provide the answers to my questions. 
Eventually, everything became too much for me, and I ended up in rehab. There I found believable answers to my questions on how to live life effectively. The solution turned out to be a simple program for complicated people, the 12 steps. I took this detour into my darkness to indicate how my life ended up being a living hell. Today, short of 10 years clean and sober, I am more capable and competent at living life, and every day I learn more. In doing so, I have found a new freedom and a new happiness. There is a stark difference between how I lived my life before working the 12 steps and how I am living it now. It is beyond comprehension how my life skills have developed. After having been in recovery for about 6 months, I got affirmation of the perceivable change of my new way of living is granting me. My parents visited me in Cape Town. I was in conversation with my mother when my dad, who did not know I had entered recovery, interrupted us and expressed how he perceived a significant change in me. His unsolicited observation included how the change was positive and it made him happy to see. I was extremely surprised, as my dad was, by a long shot, not the most observant person. I was truly pleased that the constructive changes were being perceived. I felt the work I was putting into a new way of living seemed to be worth the effort. I believe that the principles of the 12 steps are generally applicable. This solution can effectively be utilized by anyone to address various unsatisfactory aspects of their lives. I now know drugs, alcohol, sex and codependency, which will be discussed in more details in step 1, were mere crutches for me. The next section is problem behaviors and solutions. This I covered in the previous section. And that is the end of chapter 1, which is the introduction. The following is a fictitious scenario, which we are going to refer to as we continue through the steps. We are going to use this as a way of explaining some concepts on a more practical level. Due to its imaginary nature, the backgrounds and characters of the individuals involved will be expanded on and explored further as we continue on this journey. Sarah met Jared about two years ago, and they have been living together for about six months. In most respects, they are just a normal couple. They have decent jobs at which they work hard, and they earn good salaries. They take pride in how they look. They exercise regularly and spend a lot of money on acquiring the latest fashions. It is not unusual for them to work long hours and travel professionally. They feel the pressure of balancing home, career, relationship, family, friends and relaxation. One day, Sarah gets a call from a friend Lisbeth, who asks her what is going on with her and Jared. Sarah answers that everything is fine and probes why Lisbeth was inquiring, upon which Lisbeth informs her that she saw Jared in a trendy restaurant the night before, passionately kissing another girl. Sarah immediately goes into shock and struggles to contain her emotions. She tries to get as much information from Lisbeth as she can. After the conversation, Sarah tries to work, but she becomes extremely emotional. Eventually, she is unable to concentrate and function properly at work and is sent home. Upon arriving home, she takes a suitcase and packs as much of her stuff as she can. Then she takes a pair of scissors from the kitchen and walks to Jared's wardrobe. Through teary eyes, she cuts every piece of clothing hanging from hangers in half. Once finished, her hands sensitive from the effort, she returns the scissors to the kitchen drawer, picks up the suitcase and leaves her flat, crying hysterically. The next one I'm going to read, which is basically chapter 4, because there are other chapters called A Guide on How to Use Life Anon. The chapter after that is called the three circles of life alone, which will help you to identify which reactions you have to life 
need to be worked on for you to have a satisfactory life. The next chapter is step one. We admit we are powerless over life and how our reactions to it are contributing to unmanageability in our lives. Powerlessness is an excruciating pain. It is torture, insurmountable. This is a quote by Richelle E. Goodrich. The first step asks us to make an admission. To admit is to make an acknowledgement that a fact or a statement is true. In taking this step, we firstly admit we are powerless over life. One of the first things we have to learn to accept in and about life is that life happens on its own terms. If we think about it, we can see how there are ultimately little in life we have control over. Things happen the way they happen, whether we try to control it or accept it or not. A good example of our total powerlessness over life is to consider farming. A farmer generally plans his farming operation to a T and takes as many precautions as he can to ensure a successful harvest. But ultimately, he has little control over what the harvest looks like. There are just too many factors to consider that he has no control over, and they can all have a significant influence on the outcome of his year's work. Another example is planning an overseas holiday. We go through the motions of securing the dates and putting in leave. Depending on availability, we book our air tickets for the dates we want. We book our accommodation and transport according to our scheduled flights. We apply for our passports and then perhaps for our visas. We pack our clothes according to the weather prediction. We arrange with our bank to authorize our credit cards for international spending. On the day of departure, we arrange the Uber and hopefully get there in time for our check-in and departure. Take some time to consider how many of these steps we have total control over. The answer is not many. As it is, we are constantly at the mercy of fate, which ultimately is life as it is going to happen. Whether you are planning a crop or a holiday, we do so at the mercy of an incredible number of variables which we cannot control. We need to learn to accept these variables, which is equal to accepting life and its unpredictability. We call this life on life's terms. A second thing we need to learn to accept early in life is the lack of fairness. Life is not fair. The sooner we accept this, the easier our life journey will be. It is when we do not accept life as it happens, when we experience discomfort and hurt. Which facts about our lives are we acknowledging to be true in this step? We admit three things. We are powerless over life. We are powerless over our reaction to life. And our lives become unmanageable when we react in ways which hurt us or others. In admitting these three things, we are coming face to face with one of the most fundamental spiritual principles of this program. Honesty. We accept our vulnerability in acknowledging we are not so powerful that we can control life and everything that happens in it. The way we respond to this reality is the key to how we live our lives. We buy books like Life and None because there is something in our lives we are not happy with. We have most probably come to a decision that we would like to change our lives and in the process reach a sense of joy. Or maybe we are seeking to be content for the first time in our lives. We have come to the realization things cannot go on as they are. For many of us, it is in the status quo where pain and discomfort are. Question 1. What are the things in your life you believe are causing you to be unhappy or give rise to your pain and discomfort? Maybe I need to just give a little explanation, but Life and Non is a workbook. So even though there's a lot of things to read, 
there's questions which the reader should answer and hopefully work through with somebody so that they can get clarity on the answers and get feedback on the behaviors so in this book i give the question and then i give an example answer so the example answer to question one is my housemates do not do their part of the housework i end up doing my and their part it leaves me not only exhausted but also angry and resentful it is extraordinarily empowering when we come to the realization that if we want things to be different we need to do existing things differently or do different things as mentioned before if nothing changes nothing changes in other words if you want things to change we need to change things change is not going to happen by itself if we wish to benefit from things being different then we need to do the necessary work to ensure that things change question two if the things causing you pain discomfort and unhappiness miraculously disappear how do you imagine your life will be my example i will have more free time to pursue my own interest and will not be too exhausted to have a life of my own our minds do not like change to bring change about we need a different mindset i have sections in the book called personally in the personally sections which is blocked off i give my own personal experience on the section that we are busy working on so in this personally section i say we have been living in a house for about a year and a half we lying on the couch in the lounge one day i looked towards the kitchen and thought to myself oh my those light fittings are ugly they need to go i spoke to my husband about it we went shopping and bought lights that we both liked i arranged for an electrician to remove the old lights and fit the new ones i paid the bill the lights did not change themselves because i decided that they had to go a sequence of actions had to be taken for me to get what i wanted I had to accept the possibility that my husband may not want to change the lights or maybe we could not afford new lights or the electrician could screw up the job. The same principles apply if we are unhappy with things in our life. Lying on the couch merely contemplating how ugly the lights are and how I wish we would have different ones does not change anything. It takes a concerted effort from our side to change the things we are not happy with. Question 3 Write down the most important aspect of your life which you want resolved by working these steps. As explained in the three circles section on page 29, we shall refer to these as our acting out behavior. Start with the words I shall be acting out when and list these behaviors. Example: I shall be acting out when my reaction to a situation is attempting to control the outcome in order for me to not feel bad about myself. It is imperative that we learn to be honest with ourselves. Lying to ourselves while doing this work will serve no purpose at all. Through self-honesty, we break the cycle of deceit. By following truth's path, we allow ourselves the opportunity to experience personal growth. Honesty allows us to look at reality, not at the way we want things to be or believe things should or could be. The book Sex Addicts Anonymous, page twenty-three, states: "Honesty is the foundation on which all further progress is based." The other two fundamental principles of this recovery program in addition to honesty are open-mindedness and willingness. These three together form the how. Honesty, open-mindedness and willingness of all 12-step programs. More about these later. Question 4. Why do you want or need to stop your acting out behavior? Example: I constantly feel bad about myself because I take negative outcomes personally, despite the fact that I have no control over them. 
Then I indulge in negative self-talk, which contributes to me wanting to isolate and give up on my goals. Question 5. What lies have you been telling yourself about life in general and about your life in particular? Example, nobody cares about me. I am never going to be happy because I have no right to ask for my own needs to be met. I am not worthy to be happy and do not deserve a better life. Let us have a more detailed look at the meaning and impact of the admissions we are making in step one. The first admission, we are powerless over life. It seems peculiar to admit we are lacking strength or resources and do not have the authority or capacity to act with regard to what happens in our lives. Question 6. Explain what you understand when you say we are powerless over life. My example, I do not know what is going to happen next. I despise the feeling of not knowing and not being able to control the outcome of situations. I incorrectly believe that life demands, that life demands my approval whereas in reality, all it requires is my acceptance. At first thought, this may seem like such a random thing to admit to. Of course we are powerless over life. We are in no way in control of what is going to happen to any of us. We do not have the power to exert pressure over what life brings across our path. If we understand the concept of life on life's terms, which is that life is going to happen as it is going to happen, and we cannot control it, then we have already admitted we are powerless over life. Part of step one is done and dusted. Pay attention when in conversation with others how often people use the words, I do not know what is going to happen. Personally, it amuses me when I hear someone say this. A reflective response such as, nor do I, or nobody knows, sounds sarcastic, glib, or maybe even judgmental. But why would the speaker make such a statement? Is this an exceptional situation? Did they accept they would know? It seems that our modern day society has given us control over so many things and creates the illusion that we can control everything, to such an extent that, that we believe we need to have knowledge of the future. Perhaps the best response in this situation is a sympathetic, nobody knows what the future holds, and that is perfectly okay. A specific issue we are dealing with in life and non is not merely our powerlessness over life. The issue is... Despite that we have no power over what is going to happen, we still constantly attempt to control life. What is making our lives unmanageable is our reaction to the lack of control. Question 7. Describe situations where you try to control what is going to happen in your life. Example. I am planning to renovate our house and have completed the forms to get the financing from the bank. I submitted the forms a while ago and have not received an answer yet. For the past few for the past three days, I have been calling the bank every day, demanding an answer on the outcome and continually asking if they need more information from me. I have requested a meeting with a manager in order to get this sorted out. I feel angry and frustrated and I'm taking my emotions out on my family. Question 8. Write a paragraph or more about how you feel about yourself most of the time. Example. I generally am okay with myself. When I engage with my when I engage in my controlling behavior, though, I feel useless and constantly angry at myself and the whole world. It is then that I hate my life. The second thing we admit is we are powerless over our actions to life. Something else we are powerless over, and most likely the reason why we are working the Life and On program, is the ways we react to what happens to us in our lives. At this point, I am now going to go to the scenario. Two girls here at the same time that their boyfriends are cheating on them. One is Sarah from our scenario, the other is Candy. 
Sarah ends up destroying her boyfriend's personal property, while Candy amicably breaks up with her boyfriend. Both are powerless over life, which is their boyfriend's cheating on them. Only one is powerless over a reaction to what happened. Question 9. Think of your own life. Explain in which ways your reactions to what happens to you makes you unhappy and cause you pain and discomfort. Note that this is not the same question as question 1. In question 1 we explore what you think are the things that make you unhappy. Focus on how your reactions make you unhappy, not the events. Example. I'm on a committee which arranges events. Every now and then we ask professionals to come and talk to us about a specific topic. Sometimes potential speakers do not respond to my requests, or they say no, or they keep me on a line before committing. I react very badly when people say no. I take the refusal as a rejection of me personally. Due to my reactions, which is me feeling rejected and getting angry with myself for feeling that way, I become unhappy and have a negative view of life in general. We are back at the scenario. Candy took the direct decision for herself to leave her cheating boyfriend and managed to do it in a healthy and constructive way. Sarah also took the right decision to leave her boyfriend, but did so in a very destructive way. By not accepting her powerlessness over Jared's cheating, Sarah reacted by trying to exert power over Jared's actions by retaliating. Her reactions landed her in trouble and caused more damage to herself than the painful events of learning she had been cheated on. We may, like Sarah, believe we have power over others' behavior. We don't. What we do possess power over is the ability to make decisions with regard to how we respond to events in our lives. There is no doubt about that. We need to ask ourselves what control we have over the outcome of our decisions. We can make as many choices as we want, but we stay forever powerless over the end result. We may choose to believe we are not powerless over life or to the way we react to it. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous Page 21 reads, Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. We probably learn how thinking of ourselves as powerless will be an admission of weakness and lack of control over our lives and destiny. This learned behavior is faulty and has to be unlearned if we want to live our lives contently. Question 10. Give as many examples as you can of situations where your reactions to a situation caused harm to yourself and others. Example, I love gardening and often take on big projects which I need help with, but I find it difficult to ask for help. I once asked my husband to help me with a project, but he could not do so immediately, so I tried to do it on my own. In the end, I caused serious damage to the pergola. I was irritated, frustrated and angry and shouted at my husband that he never helps me. This is not true. He normally does help when I ask him. My outrage caused an argument between us and I, in my anger, said hurtful things that can never be taken back. I hurt him, myself and the relationship. 11. How does acting out on your behavior affect your life and the life of those around you? Example. With the way I react to life, I rob myself of joy. I find it difficult to ask for help and to express my needs. I spend a lot of time and energy which I could have used to do things that contribute positively to my life by worrying scheming, manipulating, and trying to control outcomes. And this is up until where I'm going to read. That is about halfway through step one, and I think it gives you a very good example of what life anon is all about. Frankly, I'm stopping because my throat is now really sore from all the reading. <laughs> I was planning on doing the whole, the whole step, but um, um, my throat is really now quite sore. 
my voice is going. I hope this gives you an indication of what Life and Non is about and what working through Life and Non will be. The basic principle of Life and Non is that I give the step of React as Anonymous, as in Life and Non. I explain what the step means. I explain deeper by giving my personal experience. I also explain further by relating to a scenario that I'm giving at the beginning of the book. And then there are questions, example answers, and it's expected of the reader to answer those questions and to work through those questions with what I call a guide. Now, that guide can be a psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, life coach, recovery coach, friend. But also in the book, I mention how one can start a life anonymous fellowship, if you wish to, which I seriously recommend. Let's get the reactors together and let's stop reacting to life because we don't have to react in ways that hurt ourselves. By working through life for non, we will learn how we have choices and how, how we can make healthy choices for ourselves. Choices that contribute to our lives and don't hurt us or others. I wish you all of the best. Have a good day. Bye. For those of you who are interested, you can order your copy of Life Anon, a 12-step guide to life for non-addicts, from me directly. You can go to my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, and contact me via the contact page, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor. You can send me a message from there, or you can find me on Twitter at, at RensburgFreddy. You can send me a direct message from there, or send me a message on Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. The book costs 300 Rand. Postage in South Africa is 35 Rand and 100 Rand internationally. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.